Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, City Council deals with the Lime Ridge Mall Arena proposal at City Hall today. We'll get into uh, all the details about that. Hamilton's turn for rotating public high school teachers to go on strike today. Uh, they're on the picket lines at high schools right across the city. And ACORN, a local advocacy group and tenants uh, federation, is pushing for a review of property standards by law. We'll tell you why. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Busy day at Hamilton City Hall today. City Council is going to be dealing with a number of contentious issues, uh, not the least of which, of course, is uh, the report that we talked about earlier this week from city staff about what to do, if anything, about an arena or new arena or whatever the case might be. Uh, they know, of course, of the uh, presentation made by Michael Andelard, the owner of the Hamilton Bulldogs, uh, a few weeks ago now, before Christmas, about what he'd like to see, and that, well, in, in part was the, the arena up at Lime Ridge Mall, in, in contact with the Cadillac Fairview, of course, who owned that property at Lime Ridge Mall. Well, the report today recommends not to pursue that opportunity. Uh, I'm not quite sure where the vote's going to go on this, but I want to bring uh, Jason Farr into the conversation. He's the, the city councillor for Ward 2, the downtown area, which uh, not coincidentally, of course, houses the current arena, that being First Ontario Centre. Councillor Farr, how are you doing today, sir? Very good, Bill. Thanks for the time today. Well, I'm glad you could join us because there's, there's an awful lot of concern in the community here about what could happen, not just today, but the ramifications of it as well. Uh, how do you see this unfolding? You've seen the staff report, of course. We've talked about this on the program, and basically they're giving a thumbs down to the Lime Ridge Mall proposal. First, I guess the first question, are you surprised by the, the recommendation? Oh, well, no. When you read the report and the appendices... Uh uh, and the recommendation, obviously, that staff be directed to take no further action um, on the unsolicited proposal attached to uh, this particular uh, uh, feasibility report, then um, uh, not necessarily, Bill. I mean, it speaks to, you know, estimated costs that are upward $126 million. Obviously, uh, uh, I think it was a 30K commitment from uh, Michael Landlauer, or $30 million, pardon me, a very generous commitment uh, on the Lime Ridge Mall proposal. But ultimately, you know, Bill, we've talked about it in the past. We have um, ultimately, um, you know, a council mandate to, uh, you know, upgrade all of our entertainment facilities, our convention and entertainment facilities. And in that mandate by council, and then prior to, of course, Michael Andlauer's delegation, uh, you know, we talked about those core uses being facilitated in the downtown core. That was actually written into that, that mandate, as well as reducing and eliminating city subsidies, which is a big factor uh, when you compare and contrast the two locations, uh, particularly on the arena. But we're talking about a much greater, bigger entertainment facilities picture here in the core. So is the attitude of city council simply going to be it's downtown or it's not going to happen at all? You know, I always say to you, it's, uh, you never want to predict. Certainly... Um, on this particular issue, uh, credit to the Bulldogs, there's been plenty of um, speculation and uh, debate and uh, uh, public discourse uh, since Michael's, and even before Michael's delegation, uh, for a few hours to GIC, what uh, seems to be a couple of months ago now. I'm not surprised by that. There's lots of fans of not only the Hamilton Bulldogs, who've been around 16 quality years in this great city, but quite obviously uh, fans of Mr. Uh, Steve Stayhouse, the president, and of course Michael Andlauer as well. So, so, and, and you know, folks like your own Scott Radley, yourself, uh, uh, the Spectator, CBC, and others have called a lot of attention to this. So today, we we we're definitely going to either put it to bed, or council may resolve 
uh, something completely different. I would be surprised, to be frank with you, though. If you pursued this. See, I, mean, I would be surprised, yes, if we pursued Limeridge. And, and by the way, just for the sake of our listeners, uh, when, when the staff recommends take no action, it basically means uh, forget about it. Whether you don't touch it, don't talk about it, we don't want to do this anymore. Uh, that's that's the essence of it here. And and uh, there are people on council, of course, that feel that way. I mean, uh, uh, we've talked with Michael Andelar since he's made his presentation, and uh, uh, he wasn't overly, I, I guess, impressed about the reception that he got from some of your council colleagues in situations like this. So it seems to me as if there seems, uh, at least in many of the councillors' minds, this attitude that uh, if it's not going to go downtown, it's just not going to happen. But, I mean, are, are you really narrowing your options when you when you say that, that it's got to be downtown? That you know Because this is a big city, and, and to simply say it's going to be within this 10 or 15-block area uh, is, is, well, a lot of people think it's, it's maybe a little bit closed-minded. Okay, and, and fair enough. Uh, and given the debate, uh, I, I've heard that side of it. I actually had an opportunity to speak for about 10 minutes with uh, Steve at the corner of uh, Steve Steos at the corner of Bay and Cannon just last week. Uh, certainly he did a lot more talking and I did a lot more listening. I think probably uh, we were at the, the height of the, the public debate since the staff report was just made public. Um, I completely understood and appreciated uh, Steve's angst, albeit, as always, uh, a gentleman, and I hope he appreciated that I was listening. However, what I said to the president on the street is what I can say to you now, and hopefully put a little bit of uh, of, of uh, the pressure off on the on the Limeridge front. Uh, what what I've focused on, uh, Bill, and and what you're going to hear, I hope today, coming out of in camera, because we're also going in camera on the precinct, on the mandate, the strategic plan of council to upgrade our entertainment facilities in the downtown, and where is that at? I think now is a very good time to, to come out of camera on that because we are receiving an update on that today, Bill, in addition to dealing publicly with the, 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 the staff report that you and I are talking about now about recommending take no action on Lime Ridge. Something that we can offer the public to go hand-in-hand hand on, on the same day, and, and then in the near future a further update that can be offered publicly on where we're at with the strategic initiative. The difference between, and, and, you know, God bless President Steve, great NHL career, great reign as president. I, I don't like hearing that Michael Andlauer is displeased with the way he felt by some of the counselors and the way he, he was treated. Uh, I, I have nothing but admiration for him. He's a philanthropist. He has done wonders, especially for the kids in this community, thousands and thousands through the Bulldogs Foundation. I can go on and on, Bill, but what, what I shared with Steve was there is so much more to this. There are so many more advantages downtown. We have in place a secondary plan. There are uh, auxiliary benefits, ancillary benefits of, of greater developments attached to this strategic initiative of building our entertainment assets. And again, a focus of council that's already been ratified by council, this council, of uh, this term of council, that, that says we're trying to offset, mitigate, or eliminate costs of operating these facilities. And these updates, one coming today, I hope, out of camera, that'll be up to council to decide on the content of that update publicly. We're dealing, obviously, with contractual and real estate and negotiating matters, and we have every right to, obviously, uh, deal with those matters in camera. And then, ultimately, in a few weeks, we can offer the public more substantive uh, 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 information on how well that is going, where the interest is, and, and that, I think, should satisfy a lot of people that we are if we continue to focus, as we have ratified by council, 
on building up the entertainment assets in the court. It could be a great, great benefit. It will be. Oh uh, yeah, but listen, benefit. let's let's cut to the quick here, okay? Sure. You already no have you already have an entertainment precinct in the core. You've got a, 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 a theater, you've got a an arena, and you've got a convention center all within a block of each other. So this this uh, this speculation, and that's really what this is, that this is going to be this magnet and this catalyst for some sort of different. It hasn't happened for forty years, Jay. Why do you expect it's going to happen now if you upgrade the facilities? What do you mean? What, I'm sorry. We we have probably ten times the hotel rooms since fifteen years ago. We've had greater and more popular events. We've brought in more conventions, sports tourism. Uh, look at some of the streets that we've we've reinvigorated. Uh, people want to live and be part of downtown. I, I would respectfully argue that having entertainment venues downtown. Uh, and and putting our core entertainment assets in one place in the heart of a city isn't anything new. It's but when you talk to the people that manage that arena for you, and by the way, I give the council credit, they were smart to actually get an outside group to manage that, and that's been a big boon to the city. The overwhelming majority of people that attend those events at that arena come from other areas, not from the downtown. As a matter of fact, most of the people that go to hockey games live on the mountain. Oh, okay, and I, 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 how many? where do they live when they go to a Pearl Jam concert or a... Uh, 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 a Paul McCartney concert or a Garth Brooks concert. As I said to Steve, this is more than the 40 games. We appreciate having the anchor tenant that is the Bulldogs, at least I do. But there's so much more to this story than the Hamilton Bulldogs. There, and and it's, I don't say that disrespectfully. Ernst & Young, who did the report that informed our decision as a council and our strategic objective of, of, of locating and enhancing our entertainment facilities downtown, said you need an anchor tenant. I, I agree with that. But there is also obviously a great advantage that brings tourism from, from way outside of our city when we hold... All right, uh, all right. Uh, listen, okay, I get that. Event. We've we've heard all these arguments in the past, but okay. but let's let's deal with some of the, the, the realities. And I, at the beginning of our conversation, G, I said not just the decision you're going to make today, but the ramifications of that. What if the Bulldogs leave? You've got no anchor tenant then, so why even have an arena? As I said to President Steve Stayhouse, we have obviously some interested parties. I would suggest to you, Bill, some very interested parties who are fulfilling the objectives of council the strategic objectives, and focusing on our entertainment assets downtown, our facilities downtown. Yeah, are, are, you telling me, are you telling me that you have another anchor tenant if the Bulldogs leave? They are working in conjunction with much more qualified people than you and I on how to go about attaining anchor tenants. Are they hockey? Are they lacrosse? Are they indoor soccer? I don't know, but the people that are attached to these proposals, who are taking these proposals very seriously, are well-connected with folks who do know. Uh, and I understand that you've got the, your management group, of course, have connections with other arenas and other leagues. I get that. But you also understand that Michael Andlar owns the territorial rights for junior hockey in this area, uh, and you can't just plop another team in there without his permission. So um, you're running out of options here. That seems to be the problem. And, and I guess the biggest qu- concern I've got, and I'm hearing this from a lot of my listeners, Jay, is when you get thumbs down to this today, and I'm assuming that's what's going to happen from City Council, there is no other proposal. You've got nothing. You don't even know where you're going to build an arena downtown, let alone who's going to be in it. Which is why, I, I, again, Bill, I think it's important that we offer what we can when we, when we come out of closed session today on an update on where we're going on the strategic objective on our entertainment facilities and even more of a robust uh, 
uh, update to the community in a few weeks' time. That, well, I, you know, I got to tell you something. Maybe one of the first people you should inform about this is Michael Landler himself. It, Michael told me before Christmas, and I'm sure you're aware of this, that he he loves this idea about Lime Ridge Mall. But that's only because there is no other proposal anywhere else. If you've got something concrete that you can go back to, I'm sure he's open to listen. But he's not hearing anything from you either. No one, no one is the public. This lack of communication is really one of the big problems we have with this council. Well, I, I think Michael Landlauer said has maybe said that publicly, but I'd be very surprised, and as I've said publicly, he's a pretty smart businessman. Um, I, I would be very surprised if he's not informed or attached himself to uh, some of the other uh, action that's been going on with respect to our strategic mandate. I'd be very surprised, to be, to, to be totally honest. Absolutely. Uh, Michael Andlauer is a member of, of the public, just like yourself and most others, and we are dealing with contractual, potentially legal, uh, real estate matters, all uh, confidential. We have a bidding process, uh, more than one consortia interested in Council's mandate of reducing or eliminating our operating subsidies and focusing on the core, a mandate ratified by Council. Uh, and, I, and Michael will be updated publicly with everybody else, but I would be very surprised. I'll just say this is my opinion, Bill, if Michael and Lauer didn't have more than just one option, Lime Ridge Mall, or be a party to other conversations. Are I you would be very surprised. Are you telling me that somebody from the city has been in conversation with the Bulldogs about this? I'm not telling you that. I'm speaking for myself as, a, as the smart businessman that he is, one of the smartest I know personally. I would be very surprised if he isn't uh, weighing other options. He's too savvy to, to simply focus, particularly, and fair enough, the appetite that, and the feelings that he's had just from his delegation and even before on the appetite for a Limeridge 6,000-seat arena. He, he's going to weigh other options. He's not just going to put all his eggs in one basket. I'd be but you understand that, that some of those options are in other communities. Other communities outside of our city? Yeah. I would not be surprised if that is also the case, but he hasn't shared that with us right now. We know that he's got another year. He's, I believe, advertised the fact that he will be sticking around for another year with his OHL franchise. And certainly within that time frame, everyone will be much more informed publicly on where the strategic uh, uh, objective lies. So you're, uh, and again, if if in fact that happens, and I'm not speaking on behalf of Michael Andelar, just we know this to be true that there are other communities that have said, "Look, we're not going to poach here." But if you're not happy with what you've got, and if it's an untenable situation, uh, here's our number. And so there are options there. And you, you're telling us right now, and our CHML listeners, that if in fact that should happen, and that is the worst case scenario, and I'm hoping it doesn't happen, but if it does, you're suggesting that the, you've got somebody in the background here who will jump in. I, I want to make it very clear, I'm not speaking for Michael Landlauer, too. My own opinion is he's a savvy businessman, and I, I couldn't see him put them all, all his eggs in one basket. Um, I, and I am not saying, Bill, that we have another. Are you asking me about an anchor tenant? Yeah. Do we have another anchor tenant? I, I, I am not saying that at all. I am saying that we have two, I would say at least two, interested consortia to fulfill our strategic mandate, which includes our entertainment assets in the core, upgrading, renewing, new, uh, and, and getting all the ancillary benefits therein. And there are. I would say at least two of those consortia are well prepared with respect to folks who know how to go about getting an anchor tenant. Jason Farr, the uh, counselor for downtown, on his way down to City Hall for the meeting a little later on this morning. Uh, Jay, we'll stay in touch. Uh, hopefully we're going to get some sort of revelation today. appreciate your time. Thanks, Bill.
Jason Farr from uh, Ward 2, of course, on Hamilton City Council. Uh, and, and again, this is underscoring exactly what we've been talking about. I mean, if it's true that they've been talking with other people, I don't expect them to negotiate in public. That's not the way you do business. I get that. But a lot of people in this community right now are very, very concerned about the lack of information that comes from City Hall. And so far as we, the public, know, there's only one proposal for an arena right now, and that's the one that Michael Andlar has talked about with Cadillac Fairview. Uh, we don't know if there's anybody else. We don't know if they're going to build an arena. We don't know who's going to be in the arena. And if they know something that we don't know, they should be talking. And they're not, as of yet. Maybe that's going to change today. Although I would hold my breath. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. You're talking about the, uh, well, the rotating strikes uh, with Hamilton uh, teachers right now. It's Hamilton High School teachers and the public board that are off today. And uh, if you go by one of the high schools, of course, you'll see the, uh, the teachers, the picket lines, uh, and others uh, supporting the teachers uh, today. Uh, next week, the uh, Catholic elementary school teachers, it's almost like a, a schedule here. Uh, are going to take one day off, and that'll be uh, on uh, January 21st. Uh, Catholic elementary schools, uh, again, will have a, a one-day strike, and uh, th- these are rotating all around the province. So how long is this going to go on? We should mention, by the way, that uh, uh, the education minister, Stephen Lecce, just had an announcement mere moments ago, uh, just as Paul was finishing his newscast here on CHML, uh, that uh, they're going to offer compensation now, that being the provincial government, uh, for parents uh, for daycare costs because on these one-day strikes. Obviously, you know, if the kids aren't going to be in school... Uh, they've got to go someplace, and that's an out-of-pocket expense for parents. So what the government's announcing, uh, what Mr. Lecce just announced, is uh, parents with kids up to 12 years of age or grade 7 and children and youth with special needs up to the age 21 are going to be eligible. And uh, I guess they're going to give a website address where you can go and apply for this, and you get, I think it's 50 or 60 bucks. I can't remember exactly what it is. But it's a... It's a tool that the government's using, I guess, to try to curry favor with uh, with the parents who are impacted by uh, these rotating strikes. Uh, they're not the only ones. Uh, the boards of education right across the province are impacted by this, too, because uh, obviously they've got to make contingency plans, and uh, they don't know how long this is going to go on. So as this contract dispute with the province and the teachers continues, <clears throat> the work to rule continues as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everybody's got that frog in their throat these days. I guess it's just the weather time of year. Uh, anyways, public high school is closed today, January 15th, for this strike. Well, we want to find out how the board is handling this and uh, and what, if any, plans they've got is for how long this may go on. Uh, I want to bring Penny Deeth into the conversation. Penny, of course, is the uh, Ward 15 trustee for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Now, Penny, first of all, thank you for the time. Glad you could join us today. Oh, you're more than welcome, Bill. Thank you for having me on. How are you guys dealing with this? Uh, again, you knew this was going to happen. They they give us notice about this, that this is going to be the day for it and everything. And uh yeah, there's always a consideration by the board, I guess, Penny, as to exactly how you're going to handle uh, that situation. You leave the schools open. Uh, you know, uh, what about support staff? Do they get the day off too? I mean, this is this has got to be problematic for your board. It is. It is. It's, it's problematic for every board. I mean, we've got you know a contingency team in place that are constantly addressing as we get news as to what's happening. Um, you know, whether we're on the list for the one-day strikes or, or with the increased job action, uh, constantly, you know, the team is constantly meeting and how can they address this and how can we support students through this. So, yeah, it, it, it constantly throws everybody into, you know, in, into um, this. Well, you're an elected representative and and been there, done that. I mm-hmm. mean, I was on city council for a number of years, of course, and every time there's a, there's a disruption of service, and that's basically what this is today, uh, I got to assume your phone's ringing. Uh, you know, hey, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to fix this? How are you going to solve this? I think I, I think things have 
change and because I think people understand that central bargaining and that our hands are tied, you know, at the local level um, until the central bargaining is, is done. It's basically because things changed, you know, five years ago or four years ago um, with central bargaining. And, and, and I think, like I said, I haven't come across too many that have said, what are you going to do? Because they know that it's at the central table right now and we're on a wait and see, right? Well, that's got to be part of the frustration, I guess, for you and your fellow trustees, because uh, mm-hmm. no matter what happens, whether it's a strike, whether there's a contract settlement, whether there's an out-and-out strike, uh, you 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 don't have a place at the table, but you're going to be impacted by this. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's the, the tough. It's the fallout, the fallout of all this and and, um, and the way that, yeah, I mean, you, you scramble to support students. Uh, definitely always number one, but I mean staff too, right? And and it's it's tense through these times with our staff and and um, and making sure that they're supported and that and that we don't uh, sever those relationships and that we continue to build those. Um, so yeah. The other concern here, of course, uh, is is the, the the attitude, and I'm sensing, and this is obviously this is not a scientific study, Penny, but I mean the people I've talked to uh, since this whole thing started, and it's been going on for over a month, I guess now, uh, mm-hmm. and we've had Harvey Bischoff, of course, the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, on the program many times, and Earl Manners uh, from the Elementary School Teachers, uh, so we get their perspective on this, but I'm getting a, a strong sense that uh, maybe one of the reasons why your phone isn't ringing off the hook is an awful lot of parents seem to understand exactly what's going on and why it's happening. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the media has done a tremendous job in covering it um, because, I, you know, it, it is being, and I think even our board, you know, that we're we're posting things regularly about what's happening, making sure that we communicate clearly um, what's happening, what the issues are, and, and where it's at. So, um, I, I think that level of communication this time around has really, uh, I think, helped with that for sure. Well, and to that point, I think one of the, the, the <clears throat> key elements to this is as with contract negotiations, such as they are these days, uh, between the province and, and the teachers' unions, all of them as a matter of fact, uh, this is not just about money. I mean, it is ultimately about money because no matter what's going to happen, it's going to have an impact on, on your budget and everybody else's budget at the same time. But there are mm-hmm. some key issues that are on the table, uh, and there are issues that you as a board have also talked to the province about as well, things like class size and, 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 and curricula and things of this nature, uh, which have an impact on this. And, and I think we in the media have, I think, tried, and at least most of us, the ones I know anyway, have tried to articulate that. So that, now whether, whatever side you're on, I mean, you might think the teachers are out to lunch, but those are still issues that, uh, that need to be dealt with, and they're on the table right now, and they're not being discussed, I guess, to the degree that neither the province or the teachers would like. So there's, a, I think, a greater understanding of what's at stake here. Yeah, I mean, you know, class sizes and the impact on choices, you know, class choices, um, you know, it does impact students. And, and, and class sizes, you know, we, we're dealing with a lot of mental health now with, with, with kids. So it's not just, you know, um, 30 kids in a classroom or, or whatever the number, 22 or 24 or 26. But it's also dealing with mental health and, and everything else that's going on. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, class sizes does have an impact. And we're already seeing it. We're already seeing we're scrambling to, to continue to offer we have a commitment to the different pathways, you know, to making sure that, that kids have um, all four of those pathways that are, are open to them. 
Um, so that has a tremendous impact. And e-learning, you know, e-learning is here to stay. I mean, I don't think anybody disputes that. And there's benefits to the e-learning. But I think forcing it on, on students instead of, you know, helping them understand that, that these are things that are available through e-learning, the benefit, and then teaching them time management because they're going to need that. But if we're preparing our, our high school students for, um, you know, post-secondary, what's beyond high school, is they need to be able to make choices for themselves. So I think, like I said, I think we're on the same side that we don't dispute e-learning, but it, I think it's the way that it's being done. And, and class sizes, yeah, I think we all understand the impact um, uh, on the ground that those will have. Well, I, and look, I understand there has to be a, a curricula that has to be you know adhered to. We get that. But as a trustee, I think you also understand, and I think the teachers I've talked to uh, are of the same mind, that, look, you can't have a one-size-fits-all. There are going to be people that need special instruction, uh, that need yeah. helping, and not everybody can do independent learning. Uh, and no. we've, we found that out, I mean, here in the Hamilton area. I mean, Westmount schools, but High School has been doing that for years. It's not for everybody. As some people just no. they, they think they can do it, and they get in there, and it's just not for them. And, you know, you need some flexibility here. And what, what I've ascertain from my discussions with the the education minister, Mr. Lecce, is that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of flexibility the way they're proposing it anyway. Yeah, yeah, and and that is, I mean, like I said, and, I, you know, we've talked about this before, is that students, if you talk to our student trustees or students, they'll say that their concern is exactly that for those um, students that maybe don't have that voice or aren't cut out for um, for this type of learning you know we everybody are we have so many different learners and style of learning and how they learn and supports they need that you're right it's not it's very far from a one-size-fits-all and we need to keep that in mind the other element to this too uh because we had discussions when these things were proposed that we'd be in the last school year uh, and, and, you know, the, some concerns were raised by some of the union representatives and some of the teachers that we had on this program about the impact it was going to have on curriculum and choices for students and, and support services and things of this nature. Uh, but that's, this, this is not in the abstract now, Penny. I mean, you know, you've, we've gone through a few months of this new school year under this, this new setup that the province has set up. And I'm hearing from parents that say, you know what, you were right. Uh, you know, my, my son or my daughter can't take that course now. Or, they, hey, there's 45 kids in this class, not 28, mm-hmm. and, and on and mm-hmm. on. I mean, I, I heard stories from Alex Johnstone, your chair on the board, that uh, in the first part of the school year, I mean, they had some classes where actually there weren't enough desks or, or, or chairs for the students uh, simply mm-hmm. because of the way things were set up. So, uh, I mean, you, you, you're the guys that have to deal with all this stuff, and, and you, you're not saying, hey, this might happen. You're saying this is happening right now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, we are. I mean, we're seeing that. And like I said, there's there's classes where you need smaller classes and, and maybe whether it's for specialized learning or, or schisms, um, you know, we're trying to introduce more schisms and give give students that opportunity for more of that specialized learning to give them a, a sort of a, a leg up. And uh, and, you know, if you're not getting those numbers, then you're going to be dropping some of those specialized courses that really, really help and especially that really impact our most vulnerable students too, right? The worst case scenario here is is a, a total walkout. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're hoping that's not going to happen. Uh, but as you say, we're looking at different uh, echelons, uh, tiers here. I mean, we've got the high school teachers off today. Uh, elementary school teachers are also without a contract, and this can go on. Uh, is, has the board had discussions uh, about what might happen if you have to close the doors on all the schools? Well... I, I know that's the, that's the worst-case scenario. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, 
and you hope it doesn't come to that. But I mean, you know, if, if the the um, we have ongoing strikes, I mean, we we wouldn't have a choice, right? We can't keep a school open if it's unsafe or or there's no supervision. Um, you know, we we really that choice would be taken from us, and we'd have to close down schools. And there's nothing, and I don't think anybody wants to see that or do that. I don't think. Um, so, I mean, we're hopeful that that won't happen, but, uh, you know, if, if the unions go on full walkouts or full strikes, then, I mean, you know, it's going to, it's not going to be an option. We're going to have to. Well, I did, you know, I had the discussion with Harvey Bischoff on on the program earlier this week, the the president of the uh, high school teachers. Uh, he suggested that this is this is not going to go on for very much longer. That if they don't see any movement, that there are next steps. Now I don't know exactly what that would entail. Whether it's going to be a, a massive province-wide situation, or because right now they're rotating. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. asked him about the possibility of an all-out strike, and he says, "Yeah, it's still on the table," uh, which is kind of frightening. And I, I just wonder how the government's going to respond to this as well. It's a, it's it's a, 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 a concerning situation to say the least uh, for everybody involved in this. It is, it is. And I mean, you know, as a board, we're hopeful that they'll, you know, get back to the table and, 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 and find ways to resolve this. I mean, you know, I think um, for one thing is that all of us, you know, whether you're government, board, or um, uh, union, everybody cares deeply about students. I don't think anybody disputes that. But we also have fiscal responsibilities. I mean, all three, you know, all three. And so, and I think people understand that as well. So let's, Focus on the issues and 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 see how we can resolve or work our way around it. And 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 I, I mean, as a board, we urge them to get back to the table, both sides. Well, that hasn't happened as of yet. Uh, we just mentioned before you started our conversation here, Penny, that uh, uh, the education minister did make an announcement about some compensation package for the parents that may be impacted with daycare, and they they can go on the I guess the provincial website and look that up. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's to curry favor with parents. I don't know. But I, I'd rather they were sitting down at the table trying to talk to the to the unions about this to try to get some of this stuff resolved. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, yeah, so, absolutely. So here we are in a situation like this, and you've got obviously parents that are impacted, students that are impacted. You are impacted by this. Uh, this is uh, this is a rough time to to be a school trustee. I mean, uh, you know, infrastructure money that you were anticipating you were going to get was canceled when they covered they canceled the the cap and trade program that had an impact on you. Now these new programs are rolling out uh, the the autism funding program that uh, they announced last year uh, caused all kinds of problems for boards of education, of course, because of the support services. Uh, and you you got to be wondering what's coming up next. Yeah, I, you know, this is my fifth year as a trustee, and and you roll with the punches. I mean, you, you learn that it's constant. You, you, there's always things coming up. There's always things that you have to adjust to cuts or or. Um, but I mean, then there's also the positive and and the improvements and and you know new schools opening and things like that. So I mean, education is multifaceted. It, it's a huge. Um, peace and and uh, it is ever changing. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, and I and I hope through this. I think the saddest thing I I, I hear is you know um, the frustration parents and and turning on teachers and and not respecting that profession and 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 the work that they do and and uh, you know you, you worry that relationships will be uh, permanently severed. Um, and and so I think you know I. I've urged parents just to that, you know, we live in a democracy and, and, and be thankful that, that our teachers have the right to bargain and, and whether you agree or not, but let's, uh, you know, let's be respectful and show our kids 
that we can be respectful through all this. Well, uh, the sooner they get back to the table, the sooner we can get some resolution to this. And uh, I, I, yeah. as I mentioned, it hasn't happened in the last couple of days, and we'd like to see the minister making that kind of an announcement instead of what they just did today. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how they respond to this. Penny, as always, thanks for the time today. Great talking with you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Take thanks, care. Bill. Penny Deeth, of course, Ward 15 trustee for the Hamilton Board of Education. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday at Hamilton City Hall, uh, Councillor Terry Whitehead uh, had a presser at the, the lobby there just outside the council chambers uh, to actually call for a review of the property standards bylaws here in the city of Hamilton uh, in light of Renner's concerns uh, that were heard. Uh, this is a local advocacy group, of course, Acorn, and we've had them on the program many times to talk about uh, not just about the lack of affordable housing, but the quality of uh, the housing that is currently there. Uh, and it is substandard in many areas. And uh, I guess one of the main concerns that was talked about by the council yesterday uh, was essentially uh, how to try to get some help for this. Uh, obviously, you know, if if something's not working, and you we've all been through this. If you've ever rented a property, you know, if the fridge doesn't work, if the heat's not on, whatever the case might be, you call the landlord, or you get somebody else there, you call property standards. Well, apparently. Uh, it's pretty limited what property standards and what city officials can actually do to try to help some of these people that are in rough circumstances. So I wanted to bring Mike Wood back onto the program. Mike, of course, is the, the acting chair of Hamilton Acorn, and he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to shed some light on this. Uh, Mike, thanks for the time. Good to have you on the show again today. Thank you, Bill, for having me here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the concerns and, and some of the stories you've heard from some of the residents. Yes. Yeah, so we have a lot of residents in Hamilton. That, uh, we run into these issues each and every day where uh, appliances, ventilation, um, buzzer code systems to get into the uh, property and mailbox, different things like that. They're not within the bylaw system. So when the landlord is failing to fix these things and then they call property standards, property standards will say, sorry, these issues are not in within the property standards bylaw. And then the tenants are left in the limbo on it because really the landlord tenant board, uh, a lot of people say, well, go to landlord tenant board, but they can order issues on the paperwork, but there's nothing to actually enforce it. There's no teeth on it once it leaves the actual landlord-tenant board. I mean, they can give fines, they can give a rent abatement to the tenant, but that doesn't actually uh, get everything done and fixed. So we see a lot of this stuff lingering on um, with when it comes to stuff that's failing the renters across Hamilton when it so if they don't have a working fridge and stove, what happens is, is they, they, they go months or years even without somewhere to cook, uh, somewhere to put their food in store. So a lot of people are ending up forced to have to go out and eat uh, just because they can't have food in home. And this, it's problematic in so many different ways, and it really comes down to quality of life, doesn't it, Mike? It, it really does. And And I know there's a lot of questions out there, well, you know, people will say, you know, well, appliances, uh, why would that be in the bylaw? Well, if a lot of rentals these days, they do come with the appliances included within the rental. So it is up to the landlord to maintain within the rental all these things. And unfortunately, because that doesn't fall into it, they don't. So why, why, is, uh, why is it not included? Did you get an explanation at all? No, I didn't. But I do know that uh, they haven't done the property standards update since 2013 or 2010, one of those two. But it's been a very long time since they've looked at the property standards last. Um, other cities are more modernized with property standards. Like our ventilation, to give you an example, the ventilation within the bylaw is like a sentence or two. Um, I've looked at Toronto comparison with the property standards out there, and they got a paragraph on ventilation itself. So 
But there's nothing to say that they have to clean the ventilation um, in the rental apartments. And I've seen a lot of rental places where the ventilation is not cleaned, even if it's, uh, you know, in a small rental home with a gas furnace or if it's ventilation within high-rise buildings. So a lot of these ventilations don't get cleaned. And I've talked to many tenants across the city who have said they've lived there for 10, 15, 20 years and they've never had their ventilation cleaned. Well, that's a health um, issue. It is. It is. And and still that doesn't end up uh, dealt with. And there's nobody that will enforce it to happen. They'll ask the landlord, you know, can you clean it? But they'll, they'll just leave it be um, because there's nothing really enforcing it through the bylaw uh, standards. It's, it's so... And it's not as if you can say, well, okay, I'm getting a hard time from a landlord. I'll just go find another place. Uh, now we're getting into, into housing stock once again. I mean, you don't have too many options as, as a renter, do you? No, no, you don't. And, I mean, I've seen some of the rents out there just recently, for example, where there's some high-rise buildings downtown and uh, above Main Street there where the rents now for a one-bedroom is 1803 a month. And that is way out of reach for many, many people, uh, low-income, working-class people. It's It's way out of reach. And we see a big displacement happening here across the city as well when it comes to the rent evictions already where, you know, landlords are wanting to get rid of the tenant because they are uh, been there for many years. The rent is uh, not compared to other rentals they own, and they want to bring it up to a certain price. But even with those rents going up, we see still the same standard issue going on here, regardless of what amount you're paying for rent, there's still the failure of things being complied with when it comes to repairs and getting stuff done. Um, then we see the intimidation and harassment. Landlords will say, well, you know, they got the option to let us know if there's a repair issue, but then there's the harassment and intimidation. Uh, we were in a high-rise building yesterday, and on the front window, the owners placed a sign on there that states, ACORN uh, members are not allowed on the property. This is the kind of harassment and intimidation we see in the public each and every day. Uh, with with tenants that are going through these issues, they ask for something to be repaired, and the landlord just ends up turning around and saying, "No, we don't want to do it." Uh, you know, and then uh, you know, if you dare try to report them to property standards or city hall, then they get the retribution of uh, being harassed, intimidated, because they are basically forcing them to spend some money. So, the, really, the tenant ends up with nowhere to go, no help, and. Tenants all over the city are, are having these issues, and it's 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 quite disturbing what I see all the time when I go into these rentals, big or small, doesn't matter what it is, uh, the failure to comply to keep the main property maintained. Then we have landlords that say, well, over the years, you know, properties get in disrepair, and we got to spend millions of dollars to bring up into repair. I get that argument, but only if they were maintaining the property all the way along in the beginning. The reason why they're in disrepair today so much is because they failed and neglected to keep them up and keep them repaired all the way through the many years and decades we've been going in Hamilton here. So I, I don't go with that that excuse because when you go into some of these properties and you see how far they've actually been neglected, it, it really is on the landlord's side. And then, yes, there's going to be people that say, well, why can't tenants upkeep things? Well, they can only upkeep so much. You can't, you know, get a company and, and start cleaning ventilation yourself. You don't own the property. You don't have that permission. A landlord can end up actually getting mad and saying, you know, you shouldn't have never done that. It's my property. So there's there's not a lot of options out there 
um, what people would think when it comes to trying to get stuff done. And this is why we need the property standards to come in with some teeth behind the landlord-tenant board uh, and say, yeah, you know, there's orders here. And, and, and under the bylaw, it should be covered as well. So they do have that strength to say, we can do things. When we call property standards a few times um, through quite a few of our members across the city, uh, I've seen it where the landlord-tenant board will say, or sorry, the property standards will say, first, let us know what the issues are, and we'll tell you if they're covered in bylaw, if we can send an officer out and fix it. Well, they won't fix it. They'll report it. And, and then, of course, you get into the you know the tit-for-tat with the landlord in some cases. And, I, and by the way, and we want to reiterate what we've talked about in the past here, Mike, uh, when you joined us on the program. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on everybody who's a landlord because there are some people that do a good job and they do yes. what needs to be done, uh, and they're to be commended for that. But right. there are some others, uh, whether it's student housing, whether it's affordable housing, whatever the case might be, or just plain you know, rental units, uh, that don't do the upkeep. And, and you know, they're, they're the ones that harass. And I've heard of these harassment stories, that if you do go and call your city councilor or call somebody and, and, and say, look, at, you know, this guy's not helping out, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, then all of a sudden you start getting harassed by the landlord in some situations, and that's problematic. And I know that one of the options it was the landlord-tenant board, but... Uh, when we've talked with some of the people that are in dire circumstances like this, uh, the, the board is a rather intimidating process, and it takes time. Uh, and again, the landlord may or may not, in some situations, uh, get a little ticked off at the tenant as a result of that, too. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Exactly. And and when when it comes down to it, like, like I said, I've been with tenants before when they have complained, and I've seen it become a verbal situation, sometimes even physical, where the landlord will attack the tenants over these issues. So that puts the fear into things. And then I know there's the question, tenants, why are tenants not saying nothing or why are they not speaking out? It's the retribution that comes through it all. Um, you know, I, I've stood in front of a landlord with five tenants from a building that's complained about issues and brought it up to the landlord. And then the landlord will start picking on them, finding a certain... Uh, reason for them to be picked on, and if it's uh, if it's uh, health wise, if it's how they look at, you know, it's disgusting what I do see happening, and it's 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 quite it 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 puts tenants into an isolation. It, it really does. It puts them into a depression. It puts them into health uh, issues, depending on what your health is. Uh, there's many things involved, and we see this happening all the time. Uh, yesterday we were at the high-rise building and uh, on Houston Street, and what happened there was we seen water running into a thermostat on a wall. We seen paint peeling everywhere. Hallways were ice cold. Elevator was ice cold. Um, the water in the pail that was used to mop the elevator floor has not even been changed in the pail for three years. So you're re-washing the floor with dirty water for many years. Like this is just—it's uncalled for. It shouldn't happen. And what we want is that the city will work hard to implement um, modernized rules that will uh, work for both things here and and make it where tenants can live safe and healthy and with a true accessibility as well. Because we always have to make sure accessibility is a, a third factor into this because some of the things that do happen with repairs uh, bears on accessibility for some of those that have disabilities. So we need to make sure that we have a good system here. We also need to make sure moving forward we're going to work hard on the rent evictions process as well where people are being thrown out of their homes just over prices. 
Um, you know, it, it, either way, we understand properties need to be maintained. Yes, there is some good landlords out there, but a lot of the properties that we've ran into, it's it's just been left in really bad shape. So you got a long and, list of things here, and you've got a lot of people that can talk about this, obviously, that are living with some of these things that, that you've just described. Uh, yes. How, how's the city going to help? I mean, I know Councillor Whitehead was at this announcement yesterday uh, to talk about this uh, this review of this, but uh, are you going to have an opportunity to talk to city staff and, and offer some suggestions as to what they might need to do here? Well, we are definitely working on... Um, uh, each step we make. So each step we, we, we bring it forward to City Hall and we let the City Council know uh, what's going on. We have members that will speak on these issues. Uh, like yesterday, for example, we had up to seven members that were willing to speak on that particular topic yesterday about property standards. And they will be able to uh, put the light into things on how how things are going and why we need these changes, why it's important to everybody uh, for these changes to be implemented within the in the system, and if we have a bylaw, for example, if here we have a property standards that hasn't been looked at since 2013, for example, what other things also are out of date that's not working for today? Uh, to the, you know, 2020 was more things happening than it didn't happen before a decade ago. So we need things to be looked at all the time and continue to be put through thought and research to make sure that it, we got a well-balanced system there. And we need a property standards that works well as well because, um, like I said, we've gone to property standards with members who complain to them about issues, and then they turn around and say, well, why don't you just move? And that's not the answer we expect to hear. Well, that's, from that's ridiculous. That's a, that's a ridiculous option, and it's not an option for an awful lot of people. Uh, since since we have a deficit here, there's not enough rental properties. Uh, and, and let's face it, you already mentioned price. That's a, a huge factor for an awful lot of people that, that want to rent or need to rent, whatever the case might be. Uh, it's, it's incumbent upon everyone, including landlords, to make sure that there's the, the quality of this, this stuff that we do have is going to be kept up. And, and for those that aren't doing this, I mean, th- that's the city's job. I, I, I'm surprised when I saw this yesterday, Mike, that, that this stuff is not included in the bylaw. Yeah, we were quite surprised ourselves over the last few years fighting on this topic that it, it was definitely not in there. And a lot of tenants would, uh, you know, they agree. They say, why isn't it in there? That's just strange. Like, all these common things that... It basically belongs to the property. If it's ventilation, if it's, you know, appliances, if it's a buzzard system code to buzz in, if it's multiple units. Uh, as I said, the importance on the buzzer system is if an emergency service is called to the property, how are they going to get into the property if they can't get a hold of that certain unit who's called emergency service in? So a lot of these things are important, and this is where we need to put the scope into things and where City Hall needs to actually research and say, you know, okay, what is what is really needing to be put in here, what's missing, and what needs to be added. So working forward with them, I, you know, Hamilton Acorn is going to push and continue to push on this issue, but as well as the other issues we've put. Now, we did give a report uh, in with the city councilors and mayor. They've all got it. Uh, just over a year ago, um, they received this on their, on their table. So they know the four issues that Hamilton Acorn has addressed, and we're pushing on all those issues to make sure that they are all looked at, and we're going to continue to push on. Because, I mean, when, when it comes down to it, you're, you're right. When, when it comes to landlords, it, they, they're expected to maintain their property. And I'm sure where they live 
because uh, a lot of them don't live in the same rental property as where they uh, rent out. They're not living in those same conditions at their own homes. So how can you expect somebody else to live in that kind of condition if you wouldn't do it for your own self? So, you know, there's got to be, you know, a respect there uh, not to expect human beings to be treated in this kind of way because it really falls over. It's about money. And, you know, where does the greed stop and where do we have a, um, a border where we have everything working perfectly where it should be? And this is really up to the municipality. Uh, we are working provincially as well to change a few other things to push on that. Um, but to, to stay on topic of this, it's, it's, it's mainly about making sure rental properties are upkept and made sure that the landlord is um, held accountable. Now, when I've been on property standards the last time, I was told, you know, because I asked them, I said, how come you don't hand fines out to these landlords? I've seen landlords get away with a lot and have an order written out on the rental property, and it's been over a year, and the file's still open. Well, we like to work with them. I understand you like to work with them, but if it's been months and a year or more, that's not showing that they're working with you. That's obviously showing they're being ignorant to the law, and they know because there's some loopholes in the system that allows them to just go on and on with it, um, they're able to get away with this stuff. Yeah, but you got to draw the line someplace. Right. Uh, and maybe the, the, the worst example, I, I guess it was about three or four or five years ago now, uh, remember there were a couple of apartment buildings in the east end of the city that uh, shut the heat off. I think it was just around this time of year, too. And, and the ward councillor got on it right away. There was, you know, council jumped right on it, and they got p- pressure on the on the landlord, and they finally got the rectified problem because it was a health issue. Well, the stuff you've just talked about are also health issues. Uh, yeah. You know, if a fr- you may, well, come on, your fridge doesn't work. What's the big deal? Well, you can't, listen, if you're off, you know, pinching nickels and dimes to try to get the rent already, you can't eat takeout every day if you don't have a fridge. I mean, it is a health issue. That's right. And we've reached out with the health department, and the health department, I guess, they don't have a, many officers. So they've asked us to organize and hand flyers out for Well, them. listen, Mike, we want I to stay in touch that. with you on this. Uh, it's a very important issue for an awful lot of people in this community. Uh, I'm glad that you and, and your organization, ACORN, are staying on top of this. And uh, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, how the uh, City Council responds to this. Let's uh, let's keep this dialogue going, okay? Appreciate Definitely, the time today, sure. Mike. Thank you so much. Take care. Mike Wood, Bye-bye. of course, from uh, ACORN, the acting chair of ACORN. And uh, Councilor Whitehead, of course, uh, was at this uh, gathering yesterday at City Hall. And, uh, well... <laughs> As, uh, as Mike Wood just told us, he said they handed this report out to all the city councillors uh, some months ago now. I don't know if any of them read it yet, but uh, you know, that would be a good first step, I would think. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.